Here we are in week 25 of our journey through biblical history. What I want to do this morning is to give us a feel for that segment of history from the establishment of the monarchy of the kings of Israel until they were no more. In other words, feel the tension of what was going on in that 400 or so year period. Let's pray. So Father, I ask for You to help me to help me teach, to help me preach, to help me accurately unfold that which is there in the text. That we as believers may see the pattern, the unity of Your redemptive purposes. Oh, may we see that knowing Your great works in Holy Scripture is practical for how we think, how we live, and how we act. To the glory of Jesus. Amen. Saul was established as the first king of Israel, as we saw in 1051 B.C. Then 40 years later, David was made king. And we have seen in the last two weeks, God made the promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, and your house and your kingdom, David, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And then last week we were introduced to the tension that came about because of that. Because after David's death, it became very clear that that promise that God would establish in the line of David a throne forever was in jeopardy. David's son Solomon became the third king of Israel. And after Solomon, God's judgment came for disobedience and idolatry. And he caused the kingdom to be split in two. So that from then on out, we have the northern kingdom called Israel, and we have the southern kingdom of the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin called Judah. And then the continual idolatry and disobedience of the kings and of the peoples of these two kingdoms brought the constant threat of God's wrath upon the northern Israel and the southern Judah. Remember, way back at the inauguration of the first king Saul, Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12.25, If you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And so, for centuries then, there is this tension within Israel and Judah. That on the one hand, there is this covenant God made with King David. This promise He made, I will establish someone from your line, David, on the throne forever. And then, alongside of it, is this continual tension that if you don't continue to walk before me, if you continue to serve and worship other gods, I will wipe you out. And the men that God raised up to keep this tension before Israel for 400 so odd years were called the prophets. The ministry of the prophets in Israel was to constantly remind the people that God still owns sovereignly the entire earth. That God still has a special claim on all the children of Abraham. That He still controls history. And that He expects from you, His people Israel, obedience of faith. We have seen 
God establishing the kings, there's this office of kingship, rulership that has come about. Before that, we have seen God establishing the priesthood through Moses. You had priests who were the mediators between the people and God in the sacrificial system. Kings ruling and now prophets. And at the core of the prophets, there's this threefold thing going on as God would come upon them by His Spirit and they would speak to the people. One is, they would continue to rehearse what was already written. The commands of God to follow the Lord. To stop your idolatry. Secondly, were the warnings that if you don't, judgment is coming. And then, thirdly, thank goodness, there was always, always this hope based on God's sovereign purposes and promise to the people. I'm going to establish a king forever. To get a taste of that dynamic of how God was using the prophets during the kingdom era of the Old Testament, I want us to turn to one of those prophets, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 21. Get a timeline in your head here. David becomes king right around the year 1000 B.C. Jeremiah was born in 627 B.C. About a hundred years after the northern kingdom of Israel was wiped out. They're no more. The people are taken away. Scattered. Where the ten tribes? Don't know. Jeremiah is born. His ministry as prophet was to the southern kingdom that now still exists of Judah. During the last years leading up to God's judgment and the exile by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Jeremiah's work, ministry, was during the last five kings of Judah. Remember Josiah? I named one of my children's middle names after him. He was a good king. Josiah found the books, God's holy scripture books, in the temple that have no one's been paying attention to for years. But then the next four, or the last four kings after him were bad. Evil, wicked. And so, starting in Jeremiah, chapter 21, verse 11, all the way through chapter 22, what we have is a collection of oracles from Jeremiah that he spoke from the Lord against these bad kings. Then, chapter 23 comes, verses 1 to 8 lead up to, even though that is so horrid, there's still hope. But first, I want to just read. Let's read together. Not out loud. I'll read out loud. Verses, chapter 21, verse 11, to chapter 22, 9, and get a flavor of the prophet. And to the house of the king of Judah say, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of David. Thus says the Lord, Execute justice in the morning and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of your evil deeds. Behold, I am against you, O inhabitant of the valley, O rock of the plain, declares the Lord. You who say, Who shall come down against us? Or who shall enter our habitations? I will punish you according to the fruit of your deeds, declares the Lord. I will kindle a fire in the forest, and it shall devour all that is around her. Thus says the Lord, Go down to the house of the king of Judah, Jeremiah, and speak there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David. 
you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of the, ha- of the house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. For thus says the Lord concerning the house of the king of Judah, You are like Gilead to me, like a summit of Lebanon, yet surely I will make you a desert, an uninhabited city. I prepare destroyers against you, each with his weapons, and they shall cut down your choicest cedars and cast them into the fire. And many nations will pass by this city, Jerusalem, and every man will say to his neighbor, Why has the Lord dealt thus with this city? They will answer, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped other gods and served them. End quote. So what we see in these verses is what God expects for the kings who are sitting on the throne of David. Do righteousness. Let righteousness reign. Help those who are oppressed. Wrong is being done against them. And thirdly, do not take advantage of the vulnerable. The resident alien in your land the widow, and the orphan. And we see in the text this same tension that has been going throughout the history of the kings for the last few hundred years. Jeremiah is towards the end now. The same tension, verse 4, that if you obey, you will continue to have kings sitting on the throne of David. But, if you do not obey, then this house of David will become a desolation. So then we move on. Jeremiah then begins to address each of the kings by name. Starting with verse 13 to verse 15 of chapter 22, he says to the king, Shalom, who was Josiah's son, quote, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness, and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbors serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? Secondly, verses 18 to 23 comes a word through Jeremiah to the king Jehoiakim. He ruled for 11 years until he was killed in a revolt in 598 B.C. Starting with verse 18, Jeremiah says, Therefore thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Oh, my brother, or Ah, sister, they shall not lament, meaning it is death for him, saying, Ah, Lord, or ah, His majesty, with the burial of a donkey he shall be buried, dragged and dumped beyond the gates of Jerusalem. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. This has been your way from your youth. 
that you have not obeyed my voice. Then we come to verses 24 to 30. And Jeremiah describes the judgment that's going to come on the king, Coniah. Coniah became king when he was 18 years old, and he reigned for three months. When Nebuchadnezzar took him into exile, never to return. Jeremiah cries out in verse 28 concerning him, Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know. None of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne and ruling again in Judah. And it's true. He wasn't the last king. There was one more who happened to be the uncle of Jehoiakim, not the son of Coniah. Now that last king, Jeremiah doesn't address here in this text, but it was Zedekiah. He reigned 11 years until 586 B.C. when the Babylonians captured, sacked, and destroyed Jerusalem and took King Zedekiah away after plucking out his eyeballs, killing all of his sons, taking him and the people to Babylon. That was the end of the Jewish monarchy on earth. Samuel said it at the very beginning, hundreds of years before, if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And so it appears that wrath, judgment, is going to have the last word. The next thing that Jeremiah says here comes right there in chapter 23. God calls these kings shepherds and says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of My pasture, says the Lord. Therefore thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for My people, You have scattered My flock and have driven them away and You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. When's it going to get uplifting? Next. Because all of this judgment that was predicted and was accomplished, the destruction and the exile and the dispersion of the Jews away from their homeland, still does not undo the promise God made to David. Verses 3 and 8 that come now hold out this hope that a remnant is going to come back to the land from which they were exiled. And God's going to put a righteous branch, a son of David, a king on the throne. There are two halves to this promise. The people will come back to the land and God will establish the king in David's line on the throne forever. First then, I want us to look at the first part, coming back to the land. Read verses 3 to 4 with me. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where they have I have where I God have driven them and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply I will set shepherds over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed neither shall any be missing declares the Lord. Now, skip down to verse 7 and 8. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, hear this, if you know, we know our history now, right? They'll no longer be saying, as the Lord lives who brought us, who brought up the people 
of Israel out of the land of Egypt? No. But the day's coming where they'll say it this way. As the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where He had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Let's just stop and consider that part of the promise that God makes through David. 586 B.C. The Jews were exiled from Judah. From Jerusalem. Driven away by God's judgment. Prophecy, I'm going to bring the remnant back. Seventy years later, around 516 B.C., their overlords allowed numbers of them to matriculate back to Judah and Jerusalem. First, to rebuild the temple. That's your book of Ezra. And then after that, to rebuild the low walls around Jerusalem. The book of Nehemiah. It's about 516. So they're coming back in. They're being established about 500 B.C. I do not think that's the fulfillment of this prophecy. They had not been an independent people. They're still ruled over. This idea of dwelling with no fear and without dismay does not seem to be fulfilled at that point. And so, 500 B.C., for the next, just picture how long that is, 570 years, shoot, that puts us where? Into the 1400s, if we look back, before the Reformation. 570 years, the Jews matriculated back, growing. They are essentially the predominant people in that land until 70 A.D. It's after the ministry of Jesus, after the birth ministry, death, resurrection. In 70 A.D., the Roman governor Titus and his troops besieged Jerusalem and wiped it out. Destroyed Herod's temple was built for the Jews to the ground and slaughtered thousands of Jews. And they had been dispersed again, exiled again, so that for the next 1,878 years, the Jewish people were merely a dispersion throughout the rest of the world, not in the homeland promised them. And what is miraculous is that for 1,878 years, whether they're in Russia, in Poland, in Sweden, in Britain, in France, in Italy, in the Far East, in the Middle East, in the African countries, eventually into the Americas, is that the Jewish people for so long without a nation, a national identity, but as a people religious and culturally ethnic, had kept their identity until 1948 when the unprecedented happened. That Israel, the Jews, came back to the land and were established as a sovereign, independent state ruling themselves. But, here's the thing. I do not think that 1948 and present day Israel is the fulfillment of what Jeremiah is talking about in our text. I, th- I, I don't have any problem with saying it's, it certainly may be this beginning of it, a partial fulfillment of it, that the Jews from all these differing countries had been, well, really since the beginning of the century, but much more since they established the state, matriculating back, deciding, I want to live and be part of the Jewish state. 
and, have still, and are still doing it may be a partial fulfillment, but it's not the fulfillment of what Jeremiah prophesied. And I don't mean merely because, well, all the Jews are not in the borders of Israel. I don't think Jeremiah's prophecy meant that every single last Jew, like Ronnie, who was raised in Israel, must live and be in the borders of Israel. I don't think that's what it means. I think it means that those from throughout all the countries who want to and desire to return to the Lord and to the land have the freedom and opportunity to do so. I think that's what he means in verse 4, Jeremiah 23, when he says, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. The reason I don't think it's the fulfillment, though, of Jeremiah's prophecy is that, well, you know, weird things in the Bible like Samuel coming back because the Lord let it happen with Saul. Bring Jeremiah back for a moment to our day and say, Jeremiah, look. Look at the nation of Israel right now in 2007. This is the fulfillment or your prophecy is being fulfilled. You see it? People, Jews from all the countries of the world have made up this new nation. He would say, but where is their king? Where is the righteous branch, the son of David? And we would have to say, well, Jeremiah, to tell you the truth, I know you've been gone for a long time, but most of these Jews and I mean most by meaning 51% or more, don't believe in this righteous branch, this son of David. Actually, Jeremiah, a huge amount of the Jews living in Israel, much less the rest of the world, don't even believe in God, that He exists. They're either agnostic or atheist. And the religious Jews who do and, and have your book and are very religious concerning the book that you have given them have been rejecting the righteous branch, the son of David, who is to sit on the throne since the first century A.D. I think Jeremiah would say, you mean to say they've come back to the land without their king. They presume to dwell in the land in security there without the Christ. They are seeking to justify themselves. Do you mean to say, Joe, that they live in the land but in rebellion? against the righteous branch, the son of David, the king of Israel. You call that fulfillment? I think Jeremiah would say. He said, I call it idolatry. We're right back to where we started. Jeremiah, turn to my prophecy again, 23, and read Jeremiah, I think would say, verses 5 to 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he, this king, shall be called. Quote, Yahweh is our righteousness. The personal name of God 
He revealed to Moses, I am that I am. What's your... I'm Yahweh. Or however we would pronounce those four Hebrew consonants. And Jeremiah says, this king will be known by the name Yahweh. God Himself is our righteousness. And we saw last week that that king Jeremiah is referring to is Jesus Christ. Even as many Jews 2,000 years ago recognized, like Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, at the birth of his son, the Holy Spirit upon him, prophesied, saying, Behold, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old. His Son was the forerunner, forerunner of this King, Jesus, who was to be born. Remember, Jeremiah said, this king's name will be the Lord, or Yahweh, our righteousness. Then, the Apostle Paul agrees when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, God is the source, church, of your life in Christ Jesus whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness. This means what Jeremiah is talking about, what Jesus was talking about, what Paul is talking about, that God alone can save, can vindicate, can justify before Himself sinners. And therefore, the people of God, Jews or Gentiles, but specifically the natural children of Abraham, for people of God, they must seek their righteousness outside of themselves. Yahweh, that King, Son of David, is our righteousness. They must turn away from trusting in their own religiosity or righteousness or doings and look to another to provide perfectly right standing with God. They must do that through the Son of David, through the Messiah, through the righteous branch, that King who was to come. And to reject the King is to reject all hope of righteousness before God. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10. Here's a question I want to ask you as I read verses 1 to 4 of the Apostle Paul, a Jew. Is there any reason, is 1948 to the present day a reason? Is there any reason why what Paul said 2,000 years ago in Romans 10, 1 to 4, any reason why that is not true today? Quote, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for, meaning my fellow Jews, is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness Hear it? For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God 
in seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Because Christ is the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Judaism without Christ. Any religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, any religion, including Judaism, without Christ is an attempt at self-righteousness through the works of the law. It is insubordination against quote Yahweh our righteousness. It is insubordination against the Son of David. Even those of us like me who may believe that the present state of Israel is in God's sovereign providence, very well me may be one of those steps that God is using providentially in history to bring about the fulfillment of, of the prophecy. Nevertheless, that truth should not make any believer, Jew or Gentile in the church today, not still weep like Paul wept. Flip back a chapter to Romans 9. We should still feel this presently. Romans 9, 1-8 I am speaking the truth in Christ, Paul says. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption and the glory and the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the Word of God has failed. For not all who are descended physically from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But, quote, through Isaac, your offspring will be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. End quote. The Word of God, the prophecy of Jeremiah has not fallen, has not failed. Millions of people, Jew and Gentile, have submitted to God's righteousness. The King who is our substitute, our righteousness. Millions of people have stopped trying to establish their own righteousness and have put their hope and their trust in the King, the King of kings, Yahweh, our righteousness. Say it this way because I'm going to introduce you to a term that we'll be dealing with in the next few weeks. Jesus, when He came 2,000 years ago in the Incarnation, in His ministry, in His substitutionary death, in His glorious resurrection, He came to fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah. Yet, it's still not consummated. We're just going to give you a taste of those terms. He came and He preached the kingdom of God. Pilate, are you a king? Jesus told him, yes, I'm a king. 
He came to preach a rule and a reign in a way that was not before that time and now was manifestly here in His coming in a way it wasn't before He came. In fulfillment of the prophecies of the Son of David sitting on the throne. Yet, much of the prophecies is still not yet. That's the tension we're going to see when we get to the New Testament. But here's the thing. So I just want to throw this out because of what we're talking about right now about Israel. There's going to come a day still that is not yet when God will draw all Israel into the family of Christ. Listen to how Paul put this in Romans 11. Flip over. Romans 11, verses 24 to 27. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, that's me, Gentile, not a Jew, yes. Joe, if you were cut from that which is a wild olive tree, and then you were grafted contrary to nature into the Jewish olive tree, the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these Jews, Ronnie, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Now, lest you be wise, Gentile reader, in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until... Don't miss that word. A partial... Remember, this is a series on redemptive history. And yes, we can see into the future some things that will become historical. And that's what he's doing here. Partial hardening of the heart has happened concerning not being able to hear and see the beauty of the Gospel of Jesus Christ upon the vast majority of Jews in Paul's day and up until today. A partial hardening has happened, come upon Israel until the fullness, which is still not yet, evidently, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come into the fold. And when that until comes, in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, and now he quotes Isaiah 59, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be My covenant with them when I take away their sin. Broken off branches, natural Jews will be grafted into the righteous branch, the Son of David, Jesus Christ. This does not mean that every Jew who ever lived will be saved. It means there's a day coming when the predominant huge mass majority, if not all, will, by God's sovereign grace and mercy, come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. They will turn dramatically to their Messiah, to Yahweh, their righteousness, the Son of David. Just as their prophet, Zechariah, in 500 years before Christ, foretold, Zechariah 12.10, quote, And I will pour out, Yahweh says, God says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. Don't miss the word in there. I'm just going to pause and we'll come back and read it again. God said, I will do this. I will pour out a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. 
Then what he means is there's going to come within his people, the Jews, have mercy on me. It's going to happen. God said, I poured that out though. Same way you Gentile or Jew got saved in Christ is because of God's mercy which was prior to your seeing and believing. It was the cause of your seeing and believing. He's going to do, if He can do it with you miraculously and sovereignly, one person, He can do it with 18 million Jews at one moment. If He so chooses. Back to Zechariah. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on Me, on Him whom they have pierced on the cross with the sword, they shall mourn for Him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over Him as one weeps over a firstborn. So as I close, ask yourself, this isn't just history like much of many of us as little children do. Yeah, I can see you smiling right now, you 13-year-old. History is boring. Ask yourself where you fit in history. Where do you stand today in relation to the prophecy Jeremiah gave 2,600 years ago? That God would set on the throne of David a righteous branch. That righteous branch has come and has suffered the wrath of God for the sins of all who will be saved, not His own. He has paid the price and God has raised Him from the dead. And God has been since then and is today pouring out His Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ upon the world. So, in other words, here's the question, even for 13-year-olds. Have you been, and I don't mean merely past now, I don't, Christian, you've been loving Christ for 50 years, this is the question you've got to ask every morning. Have you been and are you being moved by that Spirit that the Son of David has poured out to abandon self-justification? To stop trusting in your works is if they put you in any greater grace with God. Instead, constantly crying out to Christ, Yahweh, one perfect Son, human being, from David, who lived flawlessly as a human being, and fulfilled all righteousness is your hope and your trust and your relationship with God based on Him and on Him alone. If so, then you are directly related to the prophecy of Jeremiah 600 years before Jesus came. Yahweh is my righteousness. Me, a dirty, stinking, broken, sinful creature. Different than before regeneration or new birth. Yes! And one of the main differences is that I smell how dirty and sinful I am and thus love and delight in the truth of the Gospel of Christ my righteousness all the more and see signs of sanctification. See signs. You're working on me. But you never move. Never move away from Christ, Yahweh, my righteousness. If that's you, if that's us, 
then we have been grafted in to the righteous branch of Jeremiah. And I shall close this one statement. And one day, that same Holy Spirit is going to sweep over the Jewish people, atheistic or religious Jews, and graft them in to the body of Christ because God promised He would do it. And then the King, the Son of David, is going to come back bodily and rule over His kingdom forever. O Father, O Christ, our King, our Righteousness, may You cause the words of Jeremiah's prophecy and the fulfillment revealed in the New Testament of Christ our righteousness, of Paul's letters that speak such as He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the very righteousness of God in Him. Oh, may we continue to taste deeper of Your glory the glory that You have revealed of Yourself in saving many. And may we rejoice that our names were nailed to that cross of Jesus Christ forever. Amen.